0: We are back baby, we are back, we are back, you
1: are looking live, we get
2: after it, you know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences, let's get fucking like a monkey, and here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Moons podcast, this episode 200 of the pod, it's a it. watermark pod, we made it to 200, the haters said we wouldn't. It's weird you he said we that because
3: I was going to say that exact same thing, even though it's like a Like I mean, you, you, do, you comma, do 200 comma, episodes. I was say that, yeah.
2: You do 200 episodes and you start mind-mouthing a little uh, bit. That's true. Uh, Before we dive in here, Matt, we do have a jam-packed mailbag. You guys came through with a ton of questions. We're going to try and get to as many as we can. Uh, we also have a guest on for you here, episode 200, and it is, I think it's safe to say, our most frequently reoccurring guest, Mark Shanowski, of all things Bulls, his podcast, uh, the work he does with NBC Sports, the work he does with the Windy City Bulls. Uh, he's fantastic every single time we have him on, and we thought... With some of the NBA news, the addition of Vooch uh, in the Windy City. It'd be great to have him on here, episode 200, to yeah. celebrate with us. If nothing else,
3: it's kind of wild that this all came together right before episode 200. I feel like it's a perfect storm of just occurrences. One, we got all our mailbags, which you love doing on these milestone episodes. Two, we got our most reoccurring guests, like you said, Mark. In three. Episode 199, we had some breaking news happen, you know, just a day or so after, and we obviously missed it. Um, of course. So I think we we kind of hit all the moose and runes, kind of like milestone, mile, you know, mile markers, what have common mm-hmm. occurrences, all that happened. And we got Masters Week ne- uh, next week. So this is, we got Masters this, everything's Week. Everything's coming so together. Everything's um, coming up with we'll- runes.
2: We will have a full Masters preview early in the week for you next week. Picks, breakdowns, everything we're uh, expecting out of our favorite weekend on the golf calendar. Uh, But we do have to get to Mark here, do a little Bulls talk, and then we'll get to mailbag. Uh, Before we do so, Matt, we are recording this on opening day 2021 Uh, since we've last spoken some tough news regarding the Chicago White Sox yeah. and Aloy Jimenez. Unfortunately, uh, that happened right six after the months. It, it did. And, um, you know, it stinks. It does magnify the depth that this team has, like the fact that the sky is not falling and that they should be all right. But we're talking about a guy who is, um, I mean, pencil him in to hit 335 home runs, if not north of that. And, a possible MVP candidate, and and we're going to be without him here. Uh, before we go positive and have a ton of fun, we got to touch on some opening day stuff here. Just your thoughts with the White Sox, your level of expectation.
3: Uh, I mean, obviously the Eli News hurts. I mean, it, you talk yeah. about a guy like you said, three hundred thirty-five could have challenged for a home run title this year. That said, um, it's never a it's obviously never a good thing to lose to a player of that magnitude of the lineup. But they are, they do have some talent still there, ready to to carry that lineup and then provide them. Uh, with some offense, the pitching's much uh, much improved this year in the rotation. The bullpen's pretty much entirely back with a, with a nice bonus. And all these teams that win World Series, that win divisions, have their depth challenged at some point. Maybe not to the, the tune of you know three to six months, whatever, uh, whatever the range might end up being for Eloy, we mm-hmm. don't know yet. Um, but they were never going to have a full slate, a full lineup for for all one sixty two. And if you can't overcome one injury, you're not really you're you're most likely not going to win anything of true significance, so it, it's a tough early test. But hopefully, it's one they're kind of getting out of the way early, and then this this could possibly serve as a nice added bonus boost to the lineup come you know mid August, early September ish.
2: Yeah, I've already loved seeing you know at spring training some some odes to Alloy with the uh, with the red. The red gloves in the back pocket. I think Jose Abreu mm-hmm. was rocking that. Yep. Would would love to see him keep that going throughout the season. But uh, super excited to see what this uh, lineup can do offensively and to see what this rotation and pen can do. Because, you know, I'm sitting down talking to Jim Bowden yesterday just doing a little bit of preview. And, I was, you know, we're, we're open about the fact that, that I'm a White Sox, Sox, guy, Sox and guy. I'm a Chicago guy. And he, he, he went right to it. He goes, Joe, He goes, what you're going to be most excited about, it's not the lineup. It's not the big arms in the starting lineup. It is the bullpen. He said it is the best bullpen, the most powerful and dominant bullpen, or, or at least it should be in the entire big leagues. Um, that's great to hear, uh, having had some of the struggles that they have throughout the past half decade out of that pen. We have the what many consider the best closer in the game and a lot of big power arms to get us there. So uh, hopefully that's something that we can, you know, Take leads into the sixth, seventh inning, and feel all right about the guys we're about to trot out on the mound.
3: Obviously, adding that closer really helps, but I think what the uh, the the biggest thing that that does is not just having that uh, that you know elite, possibly best closer in the game at the back end of your your bullpen, but it allows everybody in that. Bullpen to remain in the role they were so successful in last year. Aaron yep. Bummer doesn't have to move to a new role. Closing. Cody Hoyer doesn't have yep. to now move to an eighth inning. Can more can, yeah, he can be just kind of your yeah. he can be your utility knife your, your your Swiss Army knife out of the bullpen where he can some nights go three innings if your starter has a rough one. Sometimes be a lefty specialist. You have your guys that are in in those set defined roles. And we had Oz, uh, Ozzy Gamers on our pregame show talking or our season preview show the other day, mentioning basically that like that confidence that comfort in your bullpen is such a massive uh massive factor that that not a lot of people always take in the fact that all those guys can kind of just remain in those roles not have to worry about adjusting
2: just worry about pitching is is huge for that bullpen yeah just play your role go out there hand crooked numbers, and uh, let the arms do the rest of the work. It's going to be an exciting season. Uh, We know with expectation does come heartbreak sometimes, but we're hoping that is not the case with the White Sox this year. A very in vogue pick uh, to win the AL, but to win it all uh, at last check, 10-1. to So if you want to sprinkle a little uh, long-term future on that, I think uh, that's kind of a sweet spot in terms of the odds. On the other side of town, um, the Cubs' expectations have been lowered this season with a bunch of the... um, off-season moves that they've made and ones that they have failed to make that kind of spit in the face of Anthony Rizzo with a, a deal that does not even come close to his market value. Uh, might see him in pinstripes a year from now. I know Cub fans are not uh, totally excited to hear that, but um, it's not looking like that's a marriage that's going to happen anytime soon, which is a cloud that now hangs over this ball club for the remainder of the season. But Just on the whole, I mean, it's the first full go-round for Marquee Network. Um, Cubs fans are getting used to a new era. Kind of finger on the pulse right now from some of the Cubs fans year-round on a day-to-day basis, even in the office, in the newsroom, Matt. Where are things at? Not great.
3: Not positive. Uh, The Rizzo thing rubbed a lot of Cubs fans the wrong way. Um, I still think a lot of Cubs fans are optimistic something gets done eventually. I kind of think that's also the case that eventually they'll get something done. But the fact that not only there was this lowball offer, but that Anthony Rizzo kind of felt the need to get that out there means that not only was he upset with the offer, but he doesn't think they're necessarily negotiating in all that good of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cubs fans are just kind of sick of a, a organization that I think we saw a week or two ago and Forbes valued just about $4 billion, uh, yeah. crying poor. And I know yeah, that money, money. I, I know that they, because they're worth four million billion dollars does not mean they have, you know, four billion doc dollars you know liquid right now. But that goes to show how much they are worth how much they do. Your business profitable. your yeah. business fun. Um yeah. and I think Cubs fans are just kinda sick of the crying poor narrative when they are you know, kind of going to start printing money again this season.
2: Matt, the, the parallel that immediately rang true in my mind, and, and no one better to ask than you, would be the way that the Blackhawks went about their business in 2013 on the tail end of, of the Cup, and then again in 2015 and having to restructure some things, and even after the 2010 title. The pieces around the core can change, but Kane and Tay's remain Steadfast. Those are your constants. You can do whatever you want to try and make things work and maybe even do a mini rebuild around those two guys. But Anthony Rizzo is the Canaan days of the north side. Like to let this guy go is a complete change in tone. It is a complete change in approach. It is the official start of not just a new season of Cubs baseball, but a new era in Cubs baseball. If this man is not the one leading your team out, because he is the leader of that clubhouse. He's the voice mm-hmm. inside of that room. You completely just blow it up down to brass tacks, uh, down to the studs. If Anthony Rizzo, if 44 is not at first base and he's not on the lineup card day, one of the of opening day next year.
3: Yeah. It, it, I mean, that's, that's, an accurate description it'd be like if the Blackhawks didn't negotiate. I wouldn't say he's the Patrick Kane I would say he's more of kind of the Jonathan Taves not that this is not a knock on any one of them I would say Patrick Kane's kind of the MVP type Anthony Rizzo is more of the obviously he's an incredibly good ball baseball player he's going to the be a Hall of Famer yeah. one day he's but it's more of like the leadership aspect to it I mean that said if you if you do want to play the devil's advocate granted hockey has a salary cap um, I love Jonathan Taves. He's he's probably not worth the $10 million salary cap that they're paying him. But at mm-hmm. the same time, he is very valuable in that locker room. He's kind of the face of the franchise and all that kind of stuff. And you do have to balance it. Also, I, I just, I don't, Rizzo's health has been, I know he's had the back issues, but for the most part, he's been fine. I just, I don't see how he's not, Getting a five-year deal or at least a four-year deal, paying him a whole lot more money than the Cubs are offering, it just—it seems like,
2: it seems like the numbers said we're I, done I, with you. I get that, that that's what it, the I get that If
3: said. they, I get that if they, you know, do try and can't reach on a few numbers, and Rizzo doesn't want to budge on something, they, they, whatever. But it's it, That's what kind of. I, I agree with what you're saying. It, it sounds like they just kind of threw him an offer, and they're they're kind of disrespecting him in negotiations, which they yeah. don't really. Think is the, the the right way to go about it. Obviously, for a franchise legend.
2: Well, we will uh, continue to monitor to see if they can get a deal done. But it is game one of one sixty two here on Thursday. Uh, looking forward to an exciting season. Hopefully, on both sides of town, because uh, we know summer is always better when the baseball is good. Should we uh, should we get to Mark Schanowsky? I think let's jump to some Mark Schanowsky again. Uh, no better way to celebrate episode two hundred with than with our most recurring guest here on the Moose and Rune podcast. I'd say of the two hundred. He's probably been on almost like 10 of them. Yeah, I'd say he's been on like a 20th. We got like a, I was going to say, we've got like a 5%, uh, we got like a 5% Mark Shinovsky rating here, and uh, he always makes us better. He always makes us smarter. Here he is, Mark Shinovsky.
3: Who can set the court on fire? Only the bull-
2: we now welcome in our guy of all things bulls. Mark Shinoffi joining us on episode two hundred of the Moose and Noons podcast. Mark, it would not have been a celebratory episode without your presence here. We're gonna break down some <laughs> we're gonna break down some bull stuff. Exciting things going on at the deadline, only to be followed by some uh some anemic output on court. But um as we do here on the Moose and Moons podcast, we do a wellness check first and foremost. How are you, Mark?
0: Hey, I'm doing fine, and, and congrats on episode 200. I'm surprised you guys are still talking to each other. I mean, say, it's say, to so my. Shows. The sentiment is shared. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, as we said, so just some exciting
2: things going on. Uh, the addition of Nikola Vucevic at the deadline, uh, the Bulls being buyers and Bulls fans being happy on a deadline day is something we have not grown accustomed to in the recent past, but I truly don't I, remember that. I, 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 it's been a minute, but uh, I, I really think that that was the broad sentiment here. Obviously uh, the LaMelo ball deal never really came to fruition, but we're Lonzo. not crying over spilled milk. Uh, or, or, excuse me, Lonzo, thank you. Lonzo. Um, uh, the, the Lonzo Ball deal never came to fruition. But um, just your general takeaway here at the deadline, the activity by AK and the Bulls front office tells you what about the current status of this franchise?
0: Well, it tells you that they weren't real happy with the roster that they inherited from John Paxton and Gar Foreman. You know, when uh, AK was hired, he made all the statements to the press about, uh, I really like the roster. There's a lot of good young talent on hand, but, got to his first trade deadline he couldn't wait to start blowing it up so I think that's the first conclusion that you can make and watching the first three games and all the moves they've made unfortunately the timing wasn't great because the Bulls were on the road in one of their toughest trips of the season and uh, Zach Levine played the first two games on a bad ankle and then he had to sit out the Phoenix game completely so Really not a good time in the middle of the season to try to indoctrinate five guys in your offensive and defensive yeah. systems, but that's the challenge for them. I think eventually Vucevic is going to provide them with the post scoring and that second offensive option that they've been looking for. But, you know, right now with the schedule the way it is, it might take a few more L's before they start to go the other way. The great thing for the Bulls though is in the East, you know, they're still in one of those play-in spots as we speak right now and you know, once they get off this trip and, and, and hopefully get a, a few practices under their belt, I think that they'll start showing improved play on the court.
1: What, Mark, do you think this addition of Uchevich says about their belief in Zach?
0: Do you think this
1: reaffirms that they believe Zach is kind of a franchise player that they think this guy is the, you know, perfect type of partner to play with, Zach Levine? Or do you think they still might be exploring other options come the offseason, come, you know, a year or two from now?
0: Yeah, I think what happened at the deadline kind of shows you that the only player that uh, AK and Mark Eversley, the general manager, have any allegiance to is Patrick Williams. I think anybody could be moving in the next couple of years. And, you know, Billy Donovan coached Bradley Beal down in Florida, and Bradley Beal may try to force a trade this summer. Now, he's, he's said, all the things he said publicly are he wants to stay with the Wizards and he'd like to be a lifelong player in D.C., but. We know those things can change, and if suddenly Bradley Beal becomes available, hey, don't be surprised if you start hearing talk about uh you know a Zach Levine and, and something else for Bradley Beal. So, um, no, I don't think they're I don't think they're definitely committed to Zach because Zach probably will not accept a, a team friendly extension this summer, mm-hmm. which means he'll probably be a free agent in the summer of 2022, seeking a max contact, contract. And the other thing that's come about recently is that. If Zach would happen to make one of the three all-NBA teams, he'd be el- eligible for the Supermax extension, mm-hmm. and that means his price tag goes up even further. So Zach has played really good basketball. I know that uh, they're they're impressed by the changes he's made in his game, how he's been more efficient as a scorer, and I think that they would like to keep him as one of the future pieces. But, you know, obviously he's looking for for a max contract down the road, and if they see a better option out there, it would not shock me if Zach Levine was traded at some point.
2: Yeah, you make a great point there. That you know the situation is fluid, and, and nobody's really off the table except uh, the prized draft pick and Pat Williams, who's shown some you know flashes of brilliance here on both ends of the court in his rookie campaign. It's been really exciting to watch. Uh, he, he does fork over that number nine to the new addition in Vooch, uh, so some transition there on the road as well. But. You know, Mark, it is a results-based business, and we're looking at five straight the wrong way, I believe seven of the last eight in the L column. Uh, The games against the Suns, which, you know, tough Western Conference team that surprised a lot of people, second in the West. The Warriors, you should steal one from. Spurs is always a tough task on the road. Cavaliers, you can't lose that game. Just in what you've seen on this road trip, how optimistic should we be about the prospect of staying in that play-in spot because as you mentioned 10th and final play-in position uh, coming into this conversation we're having here on Thursday you're expecting a turn back towards the positive here in the coming weeks?
0: Yeah I would think so once they get back off the road and as I mentioned they need some practice time because they've got to figure some things out obviously with Zach Levine and, and Kobe White out for the game against Phoenix they decided to start a jumbo lineup which we haven't seen in years in the NBA I mean you had Patrick Williams at 6'8", playing shooting guard, and Lowry Markin at seven feet playing small forward. So they rolled out a very big lineup against Phoenix. It worked early, but then no one could guard Devin Booker, who had 45 points in the game. Yeah. And, you know, I almost feel sorry for Patrick Williams. His head must be spinning. I mean, the defensive matchup's... He's had to encounter this year. He's had to guard Giannis and Kawhi Leonard and LeBron and Paul George, and now they ask him to guard you know, one of the elite shooting guards at Devin Booker. And it wasn't all his fault last night, but he, he had trouble trying to navigate all the screens that DeAndre Ayton and other players were setting, and, and Booker lit him up. It was interesting after the game, Booker said that since we're done playing for the Bulls for the season, I talked to him a little bit about things he can work on, some things he can try, which I thought was great because, I mean, Booker, even though He's been in the league four or five years. Is only, what, 24, 25 years old. And, you know, for him to try to help Patrick Williams out, I thought was great. Uh, Patrick, he also met the media after the game last night, and he was very measured in, in his comments. You know, nothing seems to faze this kid. Being one of the youngest players in the league, he just said, you know, this is a great experience for me to me to be able to guard somebody like that. You know, he felt like that he did better in the second half, which – the numbers wouldn't say that, but he felt like he did a better job staying with mm-hmm. Booker. But, you know, when you, put, when you have to guard any of the elite scorers in the league, they're going to they're get their points just based on their athleticism and their ability to shoot over the top of people. So I, I think Bulls fans should be encouraged by, by what they're seeing from Williams. He had 16 points last night. He had that highlight reel block on the alley of lob. That was awesome. Rate, which was fantastic. So it's just a question of getting some practice time in. I think once that happens... And once Billy Donovan kind of decides what his rotations are going to be, I think that they'll get on a stretch where they, where they play some winning basketball. I don't know exactly what some of these other teams, you know, near the bottom of the East are going to do. Toronto has floundered all year long, but they didn't trade Kyle Lowry, so they're behind the Bulls right now. You know, they, there's a chance that they could get a stretch of winning basketball and also get into that picture for one of those play-in spots. I don't think the Bulls are, are necessarily a lock to make it, but they certainly have a chance.
1: I, I want to ask you about Patrick Williams because you've now brought him up in you know, just about every question we've asked. You, you talked about the range of players that he's being asked to guard, from Giannis and LeBron to, to the shooting guard, Devin Booker. Is that good for his development as you know a 19-year-old? Do you think he can handle that? Is it, it Can it, it be a little bit of an overload? or Do you think it can be detrimental, or is it just we think you're good, we're throwing you into the fire, you're going to learn on the fly how to guard these types of players and all types of players?
0: Well, I think, given what we've seen from his temperament, I think it's a good thing that he's getting a chance to learn from some of the best players in the league. As to how do you get open? How do you use screens? You know, how do you uh, how ways are you featured in the offense so that you can become a premier offensive player? Because I think in a year or two, you're going to see the Bulls running plays that feature Patrick Williams, take advantage of his strength in some post-up situations when he gets matched up against smaller defenders, and I think he is going to try to become. A Kawhi Leonard type player who can use his strength to get wherever he wants in the mid-range. Right now, he's not one of their top options on the offensive end, but I think the day's coming and maybe not too far down the road where the Bulls will be running stuff for Patrick Williams and getting a chance to see what the elite players are doing to get themselves open, I think is really going to serve him well in the long run.
2: And I think one of the things that when we talk about these elite players and the rosters that they play on, it's the rising tide paradox where, You get around these guys and your game elevates. I don't know if that's been the case for the young talent on the Bulls roster. No disrespect to Zach Levine as a leader or uh, Otto Porter and what he brings to a locker room. But with these additions now, with Booch and even a guy like Daniel Tice who brings a lot of attitude and a lot of variability in his game, what can that do for players on this roster like a Laurie Markin who maybe has fallen short of our exceeding expectation? Do you expect... These additions and sort of when things start melding the right way through a couple of those practices and and increased experience on court with each other, do you expect these presences to have that sort of impact on those around and the rest of this roster?
0: I think one of the main reasons that Arturus Karnisiewicz made the changes that he did was to bring more toughness into this roster, the Bulls team was kind of overloaded with young guys who were kind of feeling their way around and weren't the most physical players that you'd find in the NBA. And I think just by playing against these guys in practice and seeing what they do during games, it it has to rub off on Lowry. I don't think there's any way that that it couldn't. Uh, Vucevic is, is 30 years old, a two-time All-Star. Now he's not known as being a, a, a banger uh, he's not a shot blocker or, or a big presence defensively, but he can score at all three levels. He can knock down the three, he can hit the mid-range, and he's pretty good with his back to the basket. And those are the things the Bulls are looking for from Lowry Marketing. And I'm sure before and after games he can take Lowry aside and, and give him some pointers on how he can best utilize his skill set. Obviously, marketing at, at seven is, one is quicker than Vucevic. He can, he can score off the dribble. But I think that he can learn from both Vucevic and Daniel Tice, who, plays you know, stronger than his 6'8 uh, listed height. Yeah, he's strong in the paint. He's strong defensively and I think maybe he can help Lowry with that aspect of his game. I think bringing in these, these veterans should help in his development, but the key thing with Lowry is we've talked about many times. This is his fourth year in the league and he's missed so much time because of injuries. He needs to stay on the court and he needs to be more consistent and hopefully the mindset of, uh, and the work ethic of guys like Vrucevic and Tice will help him in his development.
1: You bring up Lowry there, and he had that one really good game coming back after that injury, and kind of since then, he's been floundering a little bit last night. He had the great first quarter and then was kind of invisible for the last three. Um, I know we checked in with you right before the trade deadline, but it's been a couple weeks now since then. Like, is there a sense of where they might be trending with going with him come this offseason? Because obviously he's the restricted free agent, um, do, do you think these moves were to try and kind of, like you said, toughen them up, develop them into a guy they want to you know, invest in long-term, or do you think it's trending one way or another, what direction they want to go with Lowry this offseason?
0: Well, the game against Phoenix kind of summed up what we're seeing from Lowry marketing for four years now. He looked like a ball of fire in the first quarter. He had 10 points. He had a couple of dunks. He had one drive where he drove hard to the rim, tried to dunk it with the left hand and got fouled and went to the free throw line. Those are all the things... Three previous coaches or two previous coaches and Billy Donovan have asked of, of Lowry Marketing, to be stronger going to the basket. Don't settle for just uh, taking outside jump shots. You're 7-1. You can handle the ball. Put, you know, put the defender in peril by driving to the basket and trying to force, force him to you and get you to the free throw line. He, you know, I think all options are going to be on the table for AK this summer. If he can work out a trade to get the point guard he wants, a sign-and-trade kind of deal with Lowry Market That's a possibility. If Lowry's uh, salary demands come down a little bit from what he was asking for before the season, then he could be signed to a long-term deal. I I, I think at this point it's really impossible to say which way they're going to go with Markkinen. They're going to look at these next 25 games or so to see how he finishes the season, and then I think it's really going to come down to dollars and cents. If he's not willing to play ball with the Bulls in terms of coming in with with a salary request that they feel is fair then there's a chance he could be moved along this summer. And there's always ripple
2: effects to those deals and whether they get done or not. But it really is apparent that leading up to the deadline and even beyond in the days following and some of the talk about what could happen this offseason, that this front office does still have eyes for Lonzo Ball. That external, uh, I I would call it um, the external facade that they're putting up, or or at least what the media is receiving from the team and and some of the reporting that's been done, really makes it seem like this is a marriage that could very well happen. I think Lonzo has said that it's either New York or or, or it's Chicago, and what he wants to do this offseason, he's not really thrilled about, he likes the team in New Orleans, not really thrilled about living in New Orleans, How do you like that fit, one, and two, how convinced are you that this is an actual thing and not sort of a a media firestorm that's led us to believe that this player might be here when in reality they're not as close uh, as we would be led to believe?
0: Yeah, and I I would caution that some some of the things that you see in in different websites or social media, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Those comments Mm -hmm. about New York and Chicago came from a player agent. It wasn't Lonzo himself directly saying that, so you have to kind of weigh is, is what's the agent's motivation in saying that. Obviously, if you're getting a commission uh, based on, on the <laughs> income that Lonzo's getting, you'd rather be in New York or Chicago where he's going to have more endorsement opportunities and any national deal he strikes probably will get a little bit of bonus on top of what it normally would command. So from an agent's perspective, yeah, get in a big market and, and, and bring in all the money that you can outside of the court. I don't know exactly where Lonzo Ball's head at. You know, he doesn't say very much. It seems like all the balls have been kind of—I uh, don't know what the right word is. You know, they've been so affected by their father's, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, bravado and, and boisterousness that they've they've kind of gone into a shell. Can't um, get a word in.
2: Why try? Yeah, know? I mean, I,
0: Lavar Ball has said so much over the years that I think the the ball children kind of just uh, want to get away from it all, just want to play basketball and be left alone. I don't know exactly what Lonzo wants, but I do know from watching the Pelicans this year a lot is it doesn't seem like Stan Van Gundy is is a huge fan of Lonzo, and I don't know if they're prepared to meet his salary demands this summer. They've been playing uh, their rookie, Kyra Lewis Jr. from Alabama a lot more lately, and I think that's the guy that they're really intrigued by. So, I don't know that they're willing to commit $20 million a year to, to Lonzo Ball. So, he could very well be on the move. I think the Bulls, both AK and Billy Donovan, would like to get a more traditional point guard in place to help their offense run more smoothly. But, you know, whether or not they can make it match, you know, you, you could do a, a double sign and trade uh, with uh, Lowry and Lonzo, but it seems like the Pelicans want more than that. It's, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of players that are going to be talked about this summer. You know, uh, Dennis Schroeder recently turned down an extension offer from the Lakers. I think uh, he's an underrated point guard out in L.A. Drew Holiday can opt out of the final deal. of his deal in Milwaukee. Kyle Lowry is going to hit the free agent market. There's going to be a lot of point guards in play, and we don't know exactly how they would stack up on AK's whiteboard. I'm sure he's got them all ranked there somewhere. Um, it seems like they are legitimately interested in Lonzo Ball. All the coverage that we've seen in the bulls has suggested that they were talking about potential deals for ball all the way up until the trade deadline. So I think that'll be revisited this summer, but it's not the only option for trying to improve themselves at point guard.
2: Yeah. I think so just he, for reference sake, um, Matt started jumping. No, go ahead. The sh- I think the shooter offer in LA was $84 million that he uh, said, thanks yeah. but no thanks to, to to kind of give us an idea of where that market might be, Matt.
1: Yeah, That is a lot of money, but I do want to bring up, you mentioned the point guard and, and how that's kind of what they're missing. I thought you watched, the Bulls played the Suns last night and that looks like, I mean, last year the Suns were obviously the, the bubble darlings and they, they kind of went off when 8 0 whatever it was, still missed the playoffs. They weren't all that good last year, but kind of looked like last year a little bit what the Bulls do it a little bit this year in comparison to where kind of they're at, the young talent they have. They went out and they got their point guard. Obviously Chris Paul's a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying there's Hall of Fame point guards on the market um, coming up this offseason, but are the Bulls that close to being what the suns have kind of become in the west because it it seems like it's a little bit of like a a, a mirror image the bulls might be one year kind of behind schedule but how close are the bulls to becoming kind of what the suns have transformed themselves into are they just kind of that one kyle lowry or you know great point guard away from, from transforming into that type of team that type of growth
0: Yeah, I think it's almost an identical situation, Matt, when you look at it. Look, Phoenix Phoenix has been in a rebuild really for the last 10 years, but over the more recent years, they've had high lottery picks in DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, McHale Bridges, and they floundered most of last season until they went 8-0 in the bubble. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, this year, they're one of the best teams in the NBA. And what's the change? They brought in the Hall of Fame point guard. In Chris Paul. I mean, the game against the Bulls was a perfect example. I don't think Chris Paul scored his first basket until late in the second quarter, but yet he had like seven or eight assists and he was orchestrating the offense and they were scoring at a high rate, shooting like 60% from the field. Mm -hmm. And that's what an elite veteran point guard can do. And I think that's exactly what Arturis wants to do in terms of bringing this step, this team forward into the next level. You, you know, you make the comparisons now. The Bulls have a, a really good inside player in Vucevic, who is better than than uh, Phoenix's young center, DeAndre Ayton, at least at this point. You look at an elite perimeter score, Zach Levine matches up pretty favorably with Devin Booker. And then on the wing, you know, they have Mikal Bridges, uh, the Bulls have, have Lowry Markin and Patrick Williams. So you could argue almost that the Bulls have more pieces in place than what yeah. Phoenix had coming into the season. The question is can you find that maestro point guard to really bring it all together? I wonder if they would be interested in trying to make a, a move for Kyle Lowry. I mean, he's 35 years old but he helped the Raptors win a championship a couple of years ago, and, and he is one of the, the toughest uh, point guards in the league for a guy that's uh, listed at six one or so, but is probably even shorter than that. I think his salary demands will probably take him out of the Bulls' range, but you know that, that just shows you what's happening in Phoenix, how important a veteran leader can be, and that's exactly what Chris Paul has provided, and that's exactly what the Bulls will be looking for this offseason. Yeah, well,
2: unfortunately Chris Paul's do not grow on trees, but no. we have seen what he means to that team, to that franchise, the way he's better able to, you know elevate everybody and catapult them to the second overall seed right now in the tougher conference of the two. It's been a pleasure to watch, and hopefully the Bulls can find some sort of success, some sort of presence uh, in that realm. Uh, Mark Schanowski, there is no better way to celebrate Episode 200 than wrestling over the big questions with our guy. We cannot thank you enough for coming on with us and making the
0: time, uh, time after time here on the Moose and Runes podcast. It is always a pleasure to have you. Well, it's always fun to be on the show. You guys do a great job, and hopefully there's uh, a thousand more coming up in your future, if you guys can handle that much. No, I don't know we if appreciate- Joe can handle me for that many
2: more. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, much, like the, much like the Bulls uh, roster situation, the Moose and Rune situation remains fluid. He is Mark Schenowski. Uh You can get him on Twitter, uh, at Mark Shonowski. He is the stadium insider for the Chicago Bulls. You can also catch his podcast with Stacy King. Mark, tell the people where they can find that.
0: Yeah, it's called Give Me the Hot Sauce, and Stacy's a marvelous storyteller. I mean, most of the time, the whole show, we spend laughing at at Stacy's stories and his jokes. So we, we encourage people to check out Give Me the Hot Sauce. It's on all the major podcasts. Carriers, and, and you can also watch the entire show on YouTube. So you can, uh, it's it's almost like a like a sitcom at times. So people should uh, <laughs> should, ch- should check out the watch if they get the opportunity.
2: Can't miss stuff on Give Me the Hot Sauce again. He's Mark Chinalski, one of the good guys here on the Moose and News podcast, episode 200. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Give me the hot sauce.
0: Give me the hot sauce, Bob!
2: Again, a big thanks to Mark Shinovsky for jumping on Moose and Runes episode 200. No better way to celebrate than with our guy. Uh, One of the best in the business continues to uh, shed light and inform here on the pod. Uh, There's really no one better now. Uh,
3: No, I think we say that every time he's on. and I think (laughs) we're every time we're we're, we're for some reason, like not surprised, but like always we're always still impressed by how much we learn from Mark. Every time he's on, even though every time he's on, he always teaches us something new. It's always like,
2: man, he's really good. It, it yeah, always come walk away. Say, you always walk away, maybe not feeling better about the Bulls, but feeling more knowledgeable. That's yes. for sure. He's he's going to give it to you straight. He's not going to. I feel more it.
3: knowledge. I feel more comfortable that the Bulls are in the right hands after what Mark
2: told me after that. Yes, yes. Maybe and not about the current mean.
3: team, but with, that they're in the right hands going forward.
2: Most definitely. Um, Activity and activity towards a winning team is all that we're looking for here. Uh, But again, it is episode 200. It is the mailbag extravaganza. We have a few here to dive into, Matt. So we're just going to go back and forth. We're We're looking at the list of mailbags. We're we're, going to essentially draft it. And I'm going to keep it topical here right off the bat. Friend of the podcast, longtime listener of the two hundred episodes. I think he's listened to two hundred and one. Parker Carroll sends the question. Season win totals, White Sox over under ninety and a half. Cubs over under seventy-eight and a half. I think it's only right that on opening day we take a stab at this, Matt. So uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you take first run at this. I know what I should, go, should we go. Should we go? Should we go both of seeing. our
3: picks first, or should we go Sox, Sox, Cubs, Cubs? How do you want to do? Let's that? go
2: Sox, Sox first. All
3: right, I'm going to take the over for the White Sox at 90 and a half because I'm, I would never take the under in this. I'm, I'm a White Sox fan. I'm excited. Yeah. This is the best. They're this is likely the best team they're going to have had since probably 2006 when they won. You know the 90 plus game still missed the playoffs, but we're we're a very good baseball team um i i know they took the hit to eloy but they have as good of a top three in the rotation as there is in the al and the back end has as high of a potential i think as there is and just as just about anybody in the al the rest of the division other than minnesota is going through rebuild i don't think minnesota is quite as good as they were last year um i love where the Sox are at in this division in the american league i just i'm I'm as confident as I've ever been that the young talent is ready to go, and I know not everybody was high on the Tony La Russa hire. But uh, as Ryan McGuffey was telling us on the podcast he, a couple weeks ago when he were gone, um, a lot of a lot of those opinions are changing, including his, who was as big of a Tony downer as there was. Um, you got a Hall of Fame manager there pulling the strings and knowing how to how to work that bullpen, the arms, all that. So I'm I'm going over. Uh, I, I couldn't not go over. Give me like 94 wins for the White Sox this year.
2: Uh, heart for me says overhead says under just because of the number. I agree with all of this. 90 and a half is laid a big number. It's a lot of wins big number. and the fact that it's on the head 90 with the hook scares me. You know, sometimes in sports betting, you just see a number and, and you know it's a trap. Sometimes you're looking at that four and a half. Sometimes you're looking at a, a total that you don't like in college basketball, hovering at 129 and a half or one thirty and it, like why are we sitting right here on square numbers? the math behind it probably puts the White Sox right around 90 wins this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with my heart here and say Good. over with you made you the right well. decision. Uh, um, in terms of the Cubs, 78 and a, half, a low number, a manageable number. And I'm going to lead us off here and say, I think that the, um, media maelstrom uh, around this, like just the the struggle and the uh, assumed the assumed struggle that it's going to be for the mm-hmm. Chicago Cubs this year has people a little too low on it. So I'm going to fade sentiment here and say that the Cubs maybe get to 80 wins uh, over the 78 and a half.
3: No, we're, we're lockstep there. I would have thought their win total would have been around 81 and a half, 80 and a ish I, I think anything in the 70s for them is too low. I, I don't think they're a great baseball team this year. I, I think they're probably... I mean, they're, they're definitely behind Can they the be a 500 baseball team. That's kind of going to be the battle for them. The the thing with them is a lot of that division too, is, is not necessarily going all out, going all in into win other than the Cardinals. So they're going to have some winnable games. The pirates are bad. The reds have kind of went the other way this year. The brewers are going to be probably around that same type of team. The Cubs are. So I, I think a 500 year for them is not too much to ask. I think they go over. I think they still have a whole lot of talent in that lineup. Um, you got some guys playing on contract years who are going to want to make some money mm-hmm. in the offseason. Whether or not that's from the Cubs or somebody else, we don't know. But they got some guys who have a lot to prove this year. And I, is Anthony Rizzo, I think, now included, too, since he, he did not get that extension
2: done. Uh, Matt, dive into that back. Pick I'm going
3: to stick baseball here. Um, I love talking about food. and no, ballpark. You? it's me. It's me. It's me. Um, I love talking about ballpark food. We've talked about it in the cell. At Wrigley, all all to no end. But it's opening day. We'll probably be back in stadiums at some point this year. Uh, I know we're allowed now, but us personally, um, my my lovely girlfriend Alyssa asked us to power rank our top. I'm gonna go top three, top three ballpark foods. I know we've done the walkthrough, like kind of what your typical day is. But if you have mm-hmm. you know, your your top, we're not gonna include beer. Beer's not a food; it's a drink. Your top three ballpark food items that you can. You got your go to. You got thing you know whatever power power rank your top three yeah
2: so, um I, I think that you need to be well-rounded in your approach to ballpark food again it is about the single game experience and yeah. to me that experience is not complete with as i've said it before two brats one with grilled onions mm-hmm. one with kraut both with mustard um so that would be one in my power the bratwurst be, is, is your number the, one would be the bratwurst okay. I, I would put bratwurst as number one in my power ranking Uh, From there, there isn't a ton of ballpark food I go to. Maybe you're feeling frisky one day. You're you're trying to abide by the diet. You go with a little grilled chicken sandwich. That's never very good. Uh, A burger is always pretty run-of-the-mill at a ballpark. So I'd say from the brat, I'd immediately go to what my next bite would usually be at the ballpark and say number two is churro. I would okay. put churro as number two on my ballpark ratings food. And then I'd say probably out of every 10 ball games that I've gone to in my life, nine of them, there's a bag of peanuts getting busted open in the sixth inning. So I'd go brat, churro, bag of nuts.
3: I, I, I'm uh, – shockingly, I'm very similar to you. I'm, gonna, I'm going – my number one, I, I don't get me wrong, I love a good bratwurst, but when I go, I'm usually a hot dog. I, I usually go one dog, one Polish. Um, I, I'm a hot dog guy at the ball You can't game. knock I, it. I, I, I throw, knock th- it. throw some grilled onions on there. I throw a little mustard on there. I, I think hot dog has to be my number one. Um, two for me is going to be peanuts because just about whenever I get that hot dog, uh, the, the two hot dogs are the hot dog and the Polish, there's usually a, a beer stand right next to it with a, 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 you know, a the display of peanuts. I'm usually getting the beer and the peanuts at the same time. I sit down, I have the hot dogs, and then I, I kind of just – kind the Peanuts are just kind of there to snack for the first five innings here and there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tough between Churro and Dippin' Dots because Churro is like such a – it's such a unique thing to Sox games, but you don't really get it anywhere else. And I also don't want to have the same three as you, essentially. So I think out of yeah. that, I'm going to go with the Dippin' Dots because I almost Ooh, never I have thought two. you were
2: going to go helmet ice cream. I no, helmet, helmet ice cream is a
3: little bit – little I, gimmicky, I never get the a little big little gimmicky helmet. for you. It's a little yeah. gimmicky. I just – I don't eat Dippin' Dots anywhere other than a ballpark, but I get that it's it's right out in right field, right down the foul pole, uh, right right above the foul pole in in, in the, uh, the outfield concourse there. They got the Dippin' Dots stand. I swear I get it like every other game. It's just Dippin' Dots – I will never eat them outside of a ballpark, but man, those things are good
2: in a ballpark. So I'm going to go dipping. You know number. You always know what you're getting. There's no, there's no, there's yeah. no, uh, and I'm, there's I'm, no I'm, variance I'm, in dipping. Dip, I'm not know.
3: opposed to you know going with a nacho maybe one time here. That, there I was going like to say that was my lines. honorable like mention was nacho, solid, but then you know, if you're wearing you to white the, jersey, you got to worry about the cheese. Also it's the true whole thing. You get. It's, um, it,
2: you know, the, I the, the cup of uh, – not just the cup of cheese, but the cup of jalapeno cannot be overlooked. That's you know, the, the nice – they're always very mild at the ballpark. I like, like the spiciest. I the like jalapeno.
3: when they have like the – spicier like jalapeno cheese if that makes some of the nacho cheese you get is the plain you kind of just depends on where you are some of it's just kind of plain nacho cheese some of it has like a jalapeno kick to it that
2: i like i am very much one of the beauties of uh, moving around the country is getting to see a bunch of ballparks and i'm very much looking forward to getting to both city field and yankee stadium and i'm told yankee stadium is kind of just like gross opulence like you don't even feel like you're at a ball game but what they do do well is ballpark food apparently okay. it's like a five-star hotel but there's just happened to be a baseball game going on so i might have to change my power rankings after i get to a few yankees games to like well, uh, one's gonna be
3: like filet with asparagus
2: filet with asparagus uh and then how about some like uh, salmon sashimi like a, a little bit of a little bit of ponzu sauce like i think it's gonna get very elevated so that's my current power rankings but uh situation can change i knew situation some of those words uh dipping back into the bag here going to friend of the pod longtime listener Tim rooney uh he offered up a couple awesome golf questions uh but one that i found very interesting was shot that you would love to have in the back that's a great one so a just like the the signature shot of a player, whether it's the tiger stinger Mm -hmm. or the, the Bubba driver hook or the Bubba driver fade or the DJ power fade off the tee shot. You would love to have in the bag for your golf game adopted from a professional.
3: I'm in between DJ off the tee and, you know, Phil's 60 degree wedge game around it.
2: But no, no, no. You have to pick the shot. So is it Phil's flop? Phil's flop. Dustin's cut. Like you have to pick one shot.
3: Actually, you know what I'm going to go with? Give me Tiger Stinger. You brought that the one up. Off
2: the Give me the Stinger off the tee
3: because I, I'm i fine with the iron off the tee, but I would love to be at the point where I can control that shot and be you know, know I'm in the fairway or just in the first cut just yeah, about just, any time. Hey, uh, where who's
2: controlling? Uh, the the driver the for shot. me is,
3: has been inconsistent over the years but has gotten better over the last couple, and I'm kind of at the point with that where – I would love to have the shot in the bag that I know I can 110% put in the fairway. Yeah. So give me that tiger stinger. I think that is the most, one of the most unique shots in golf. And if you can master that, you can kind of get over any struggle you might have off the tee with the driver. I think it's kind of versatile. Also, if you're playing a windy day, um, you know, you got a long par want, five. Yeah. That's that's a nice shot to have and kind of run up. So I'm going to go with the Tiger uh,
2: Stinger. Love that decision. For me, I think it would be attributed to two guys that I immediately think of when I think of this shot, either Rory or Zach Johnson. But again, in the same idea of like what I'm struggling with in my game right now uh-huh. is that – 70 to 50 yard wedge game. So if I could learn that Zach Johnson, low two hop spinner, Uh like that's, that's, you could score from anywhere with that shot. Like put yourself in the fairway and just hit that knock down wedge to Inside ten feet every single time. Just that two hop and stop spinner would be something I'd love to have on command in my bag.
3: So I think this is this question question actually feeds into one I'm going to pick next. It's it's actually right mm-hmm. above the in the email I sent you. Uh, other brother listener of the pod, Mike Rooney, asked what's what's the biggest flaw in your game keeping you from becoming a single digit handicap? You and I are kind of both guys that are right hovering just above that that ten mm-hmm. mark um i would say both of our peaks so when we're at our best we can be single digit guys but also when we're at our worst not so much um what's if you had one thing in your game you're like man that's it that's what's keeping me that's what's holding me back it can be mental it can be physical whatever you want not saying it has to be a certain shot or a club what's
2: what's kind of the one thing holding you back uh, the USGA will tell you that I range anywhere from like an eight and a half to like an eleven and a half. So mm-hmm. this is a perfect question for the current sta- status of my game heading into this season. And I think that I think that for me, the big number often happens when the tee ball goes awry. Like mm-hmm. if I could, if I could uh, tighten up the spray chart off the tee, I'd be in great shape because. 305's great, but if it's 305 30 yards right, doesn't matter. You're not you're, you're not scoring from there. And yeah, yeah I, I, there, it's not to say my irons and wedges and putting and game around the green is not infallible, but I feel like you welcome in the double bogey off the tee more than anywhere else. That's mm-hmm. where I'd like to tighten things up.
3: I just I want to go It's it's hard to say. I want to say kind of consistency with my mental game, but I feel like that's a little bit of like a cop out. But at the same time, like I, I know how to hit all of these shots. It's just sometimes I get a little bit lazy. I get a little bit you know, lackadaisical and don't kind of think all the way through and kind of have that same mental thought. So if I can get that same consistency kind of just no matter what club is in my hand, it's really just for me a head thing. I, I, I know how to take the swing. It's just a matter of kind of doing it. But I guess if I have to pick one kind of physical aspect to it as well, I'm going to say consistency with those short irons um, because I have, like you, I have my times where I can you know hit the ball far off the tee, but a lot of times too I can be a little bit wayward one way or another. I think being off, being wayward off the tee like that, like I have over the years, has kind of taught me how to scramble and still give my chance to. Well, I'm not mm-hmm. you know I'm not birdieing holes when I go off the tee like that. It, it's given me a chance to scramble to make to you know not hit that big number, not hit that six, which I think is golfers of our ilk that's the one thing you're you're really trying to avoid and if i can be deadly accurate with those you and i aren't hitting many irons that are above a seven for the most part you know, on, on those par fours if mm-hmm. i could be deadly accurate you know with that eight nine wedge and, and know that i'm going to be on and give my chance a putt just give myself yeah. a chance to putt i think that's what i would like to correct most not that mm-hmm. I, obviously my, my shots off the tee need to be better but if i could be you know Deadly accurate with those lower irons, I think I'd have a real good chance of being in a much better chance to score, obviously.
2: It is a stark reminder that they are all worth one. uh, I'd like to tighten it up wherever tightening can be made in my golf game. I want to jump back into the food realm here. Interestingly enough, we do have a nacho question uh, from Sean O'Connor. We did uh, just uh, make mention of nachos at the ballpark. And, you know, nachos at the ballpark, you want to keep it pretty simple. Yeah. Maybe as crazy as we get is the jalapeno cup. Mm -hmm. You don't want a a nachos del grande uh, at the ballpark. But in terms of just like a sitting around a plate of nachos, the question means ideal nacho topic. And for me, everything like there's, there's nothing like I want sour cream. I want pico on the side. I want ground beef. I want nacho cheese. I want guacamole. I want, um, even when you get the little black olive on there, sometimes like make it, make it nasty. I, I want. I want to. I want as grande as grande gets when it comes to a plate of. Nachos.
3: I'm a little bit more plain on that, and I'm not not shocking. I have uh, much. You have much more refined palate, palate of than a six I do. year old, but that's not on. true. I'm I'm getting a lot. better. We are talking I about like nachos. So.
2: So.
3: <laughs> I like um, oh, I, I, I I'm I'm. Glad you said the ground beef. I would say more of like a pulled pork, but some sort of oh, wow. meat on there. I like I like a pulled meat on the nacho. I, I do it. not that I'm, <laughs> I have no problem with ground beef, but give, give me like a pulled pork. Give me like a pulled chicken on there. Maybe a little bit of barbecue sauce if you're doing that, or have that pulled kind chicken of,
2: sleeper for me. Have that Definitely. kind of
3: have have the meat like marinated in the the sauce. So you're not you know dumping barbecue sauce on there. Obviously, you got to have the cheese. You prefer the melted cheese or the cheese sauce? That's a good question
2: the My cheese gosh. sauce, because uh, the cheese sauce, I think in terms of like time to eat, TTE being yep. our being our variable here, you get a little bit more time with the cheese sauce, the melted cheese. Those first few chips are great, and then you're dealing with just like trying to keep cheese. See, here's um, the counter to that. Trying not to get all of the cheese with one uh, chip.
3: Here's the counter to that. If you have the cheese sauce and you don't eat it very uh-huh. quickly – that kind of compromises the integrity of the chip. It starts to soften up a little bit, gets a little also sloppy. True. You lose that crunch, and, and which I, I think, think is that, huge in the nacho.
2: And I think that a, a melted cheese rather than a cheese sauce is more palatable cold. Like I'll eat yeah, a cold I would nacho, agree. but the cheese sauce at room temperature, I could ruin a day. That could ruin a day. Quick I,
3: I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong; I would still eat it, but I, I'm with you. Once the nacho has been sitting out a while, I think you, you have the colder melted cheese on top of a crispy chip that tastes a little bit better than the cold cheese sauce on top of a soggy
2: tortilla chip. That is A1 nacho talk right that there. That was a great to question. Our guy, Thank you, Sean. Thanks to our guy OC for, uh, for spurring that sort of, uh, that sort of existential uh, journey that we just went on there through the nacho realm.
3: All right. Well, this wouldn't be a Moose and Runes podcast without a fashion question. You're, you're no, a resident not. fashion ex- expert. Um, my brother Mike asked, which fashion trend you wish would come back? <sighs>
0: Mm,
1: mm, mm, mm. I would just for like some to say reason, before you answer you, you I've because I, well, no, so I
3: I have no idea what I wish would come back. I just kind of buy clothes and wear them. I have been told by my girlfriend that skinny jeans are on the way out.
1: Yeah,
2: but for me, uh, so, I don't. I don't well, follow. Guys, no, that, that's, that's, that's true for girls. Yeah, girls I've are wearing skinny jeans more. are out. Or what's what's called the boyfriend jean. um hugs you at the hips a little looser through the leg okay. very stylish look yeah. even a little bit of like a. I, I, I know i'm not calling it the right thing i'm not classifying it properly but the bell bottom is coming back which that's is what i yeah that's just what i said it's sickening it's sickening and you shouldn't be worn you should be seen wearing bell bottoms i don't care what the trends are for guys i think you just gotta find like the the um the the way that gene trends change isn't as drastic as for females, because you can only go so skinny and you can only go. So painters boot cut, like, you yeah. know, you can only get so square with your jeans. I think you just find something that hugs you through the thigh. Nice tapers to the shoe. is uh, isn't painted on you like a spandex. And that's timeless for, for a male gene, but in terms of that's gene a fashion talk. trend that I wish would come back. And I know this is going to, I, I have two and I think oh, one oh, of two? them. Wow. So that's one, for one each of us yes one of them continually tries to come back and it gets made fun of but it used to be an actual thing and the turtleneck is always very intriguing to me not necessarily just the turtleneck with a suit but I used to see a lot more turtlenecks in a non-creepy way people would wear yeah. turtlenecks and i think that um i think that it allows you to do some different things with suits that's exciting for, for a person that wears a suit every day and it gets a little monotonous with uh with just the button-down or the button-down tie or the button-down pocket-square combo. It, it gets a little bit repeatable. If we could work turtlenecks in an acceptable fashion, I think that that would be very exciting. And another one, I think the public Zuba. So so for our layman here, oh. Zubaz, zubas, however you want to call it. I still have an original pair of Chicago Bears from the 90s. The waistband is completely... Like, I can't stand up in them or they fall off of me because the waistband is... There's no elastic left in it anymore. Um, but it, it's an original pair of zubes, And you used to see people like at the store in these in the nineties and Mm -hmm. early 2000s, like they've gone away. And I think there's still a lot of Zubas in drawers. I'd love to see the Zuba become acceptable. Once again, things are getting weird. Things are getting crazy. If you're listening Uh, to the
3: podcast and you order a pair of, you own a pair of Zubas, excuse me. Start wearing send them. us We're send us your pictures back. at moose and us runes pictures of you out in the wild wearing zubas
2: wearing your zubas. will i I'll, I'll send a uh, picture uh, of my my bears ones. Maybe I'll that'll be, be our got first got piece of merch.
3: Though. Is moose and runes themed zubas
2: moose and runes zubas? That could be one something. of these about days, you? I think I kind of stole. I think I kind I of stole your lane there with the zubas pick.
3: I I have no idea. I don't know what fashion trends are.
2: What do you? Is there anything you like to wear that? you get made fun of for or that you get like the guys give you a hard time. I don't for. think so. No, I just kind like, of like, I'm a
3: pretty plain <laughs> dresser I need jeans and a
2: jeans and a quarter zip do the trick for me, Joe. I'm not, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not too out there. On stuff. I'm also, I'm also hoping that the like, um, shout out to Jeffy Johnson, friend of the podcast. I'm hoping that the wide brim hat can make a comeback. Too. He's very, really trying to bring that very 50s. Yes, very I, much I think it's a. I think it's a great look, but right now there's still a like too much of an air of novelty around. It's like, oh, look at this guy trying too hard with a hat. I think on. now oh, that's that you like, brought that like, up, that used I would, to be That I, used to be the look in the 50s and 60s. You wore your best hat, yeah, hat to the ball game. You wore your best hat. Yeah, you also and took it off. Like, yeah, but okay, I, I wear suits very often. Yeah, and not to I the can, ball game. But but would I be able to get away with a hat like that and a suit? On, I still think that people would be like, "What's he trying to do? Like an Austin Matthews impression? Like what is this?"
3: I would not be shocked now that you brought this up if my brother Mike had a wide brim hat within.
2: Oh, I, don't, within don't get a me wrong. I'm looking at one hanging on my wall right now. I just can't bring myself to wear to it. Wear it anyway. Yeah, yeah. One day. Uh, I think we're getting. I think we're getting custom ones made in Aspen. Next time we're out there, there's a hat maker that uh, that it. Shelby's friends with through a couple of things. So if I commit to like. A, a can i get that one that cost me a couple hundred, yeah but if, if you commit that's the thing it's like that's another reason to buy quality goods if you spend a couple hundred on a hat you're gonna you wear, gotta it. wear the, you gotta yeah. wear the hat like this one that i'm looking at on my wall i think was like 35 bucks from urban outfitters and it's just like there's no reason to wear it because i didn't really invest in it you know mm-hmm. it's another it's, it's, it's a little inside it's a little inside baseball there in the fashion industry inside moose and runes yeah um uh, Matt, I was so enveloped in that question that I, I don't have another one prepared. So let me get back into into the mailbag. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I, go was ahead. Say, I got one. I
3: got, I got another one here. Uh, th- I actually uh, addressed this to the wrong person, but friend of the podcast, one-time associate producer and only international correspondent, Rob Gallick, wanted to talk about <laughs> QB Pro Days. Uh, it was okay. more of a buy or sell, but I – I kind of got. It was much more longer worded question about how everybody's fawning over Zach Wilson. I think we've talked about mm-hmm. it on here before. How there's always a quarterback that kind of seems to jump up That's after one this of the season's
2: over. One of the long standing um, theories here on the Loser Rooms podcast. But by Aaron a room and 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 the quarterback uh, the quarterback. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The quarterback acceleration of yeah. the draft board.
3: So you get, get him off the field and he shoots up, <laughs> shoots up the draft board. <laughs> uh, buy or sell the, the quarterback pro days, throwing a quarterback pro days, all that type of stuff.
2: Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this in two ways. I buy the pro day. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's always great to see all those coaches in one place. Like kind of uh-huh. how often do you get to see Nick Saban, Kyle Shanahan, Bill Belichick, all those guys, Urban Meyer, standing in one room watching one dude sling the rock. I think yeah. just the pressure that that creates in the room and watching guys raise to that pressure is really cool. So I buy the pro day. I sell the overreaction to the pro day. Like, yeah, Zach Wilson can flip his hips and make an Aaron Rodgers-esque throw well how well do you make that throw with um aaron donald barreling down on yeah. you? how well do you make that throw when there's a high safety do you still trust yourself to throw that ball you can't learn much from those pro days outside of arm strength you're not learning anything about a quarterback's ability to process a defense on cone drills or a coach po- pointing one way or the other or feigning a defensive back read like so you're not learning some of the things that you need to know about quarterbacks in order to draft them at a pro day, but the spectacle of it, the um, opportunity for guys to go out there and show out in front of some of the biggest names, biggest coaches, biggest scouts in the game, I buy into that, especially this season uh, in absence of the NFL draft. Yeah, I, I've definitely bought into some of these pro days. I'm selling on the overreaction.
3: Yeah, I'm with you more so this year because there is no combine. It's it's much more important for these coaches. I mean, it's, it's their chance for coaches, GMs, all that to, to get in a room and actually sit, you know, talk to a guy, have meetings, all that kind of stuff. So from that aspect this season, I especially buy it. For the most, I, I'm with you, the, the over hyping of, and I know there is pressure of the Urban Myers and, and the Bill Belichicks and whoever might be there, but like when it comes down to it, it's a quarterback throwing through a scripted session that he knows is coming that he's probably worked on, you know, hundreds of times leading up to that day. So yeah. for the most part, the, just the, the hype that it, gets that, that, that you know, not that Zach Wilson isn't going to be a great quarterback, but like you said, yeah, he made a really nice throw messing around with nobody rushing him with really no one defending his receiver, not having Aaron Donald barreling down him. It, it's a nice throw, but at the same time, it means nothing to whether or not he can do that in the NFC championship game when it's 22 degrees and, you know, you have a defensive end coming down on you. So it's, they're fine, but they... Only take them for what they are. Don't try and make more out of them than sometimes people try to.
2: Yeah. Uh, very interesting question here from our guy, uh, Matt Siegert, a uh, friend of the podcast, yeah. longtime time listener. Uh, we appreciate you jumping in the mail back here. Uh, Sieg's uh, Big Red asks, a bucket list of sporting events to attend? And he then specif- specifies non-game, yeah. so event, tournament, uh, mm-hmm events, sort of things in that realm, uh, a bucket list of events to attend. I have not attended the Masters so that remains yeah. at the top of my list. Uh, have gotten to US Open at Pebble, have gotten to a PGA Championship at Whistling Straits. Um, Olympics is a very interesting one to me because I'm not the biggest fan of the olympics but i'm sure given the opportunity to be around that you would realize like what this event means The the uh the national pride uh, that you would have being at that event and i think specifically i would put masters one and then right after masters at two or even one a i'd say an international olympics not to discredit the atlanta olympics no or, but the ability to go overseas and, and see that to would be, see it somewhere add, else add see to the it. olympic village and feel like you're away from home i think would add to it definitely
3: i got obviously i've been lucky enough to go to the masters if you didn't know that by now mm-hmm. um so that i, I can't have on didn't my body because luckily i've crossed it off you did not ask um <laughs> also sidebar on that if i were you i would not want someone to buy me something from the masters i would want to wait till i go Because I don't think I'd want to be wearing around.
2: I totally get your point there, but friend of the podcast, K.K. Kelly, has worked the Masters uh, for her marketing firm. And she bought me a few years back just your classic green dad hat with the little Masters logo. And it feels special because I know it's from there.
3: That's fair. I bought bought two hats when I was there. I bought that same one, kind of the green with the yellow logo. And then I bought Mm -hmm. a Masters yellow one that – at the time, I was like, "Man, I don't really want the year year on it. Like, I think that kind of looks weird. Like, what if it's a bad Masters? I'd rather just have the yellow with the yellow logo." It ended up being the twenty nineteen Masters, where Masters. it might have <laughs> been maybe the most famous Masters, greatest Masters of all time. So, got a little bit lucky there. Uh, yeah, it's but definitely num- in
2: the top three. I'd put it for sure.
3: Number one on my bucket list is Ryder Cup on home turf. Uh, That's an awesome that, that for me is I would it just. Obviously the masters is awesome. The Ryder cup just has a truly different feel to it. It's much more of like kind of a a game type atmosphere, like a big game atmosphere. It has that kind Mm -hmm. of Olympic type feel to it, but it's a lot more rowdy, obviously, because you're on home, you know, home turf. And, and hopefully I might be lucky enough to do that when it comes to whistling straights that I think that's gotta be number one for me. Um, Right after that, I, I, the Olympics would be cool. Um, I, I'm not sure I have it in you know my my top two or three. I, I'd like to go to one, but I don't think I'm necessarily going out of my way to go to Olympics. Another thing I'd love to do it would be a once we're all back and allowed in stadiums and all that stuff again a ufc big card fight night i know that's yeah i, I think that yeah. that doesn't qualify as a game that's an event there's a, a bunch of fights that for me to be in the crowd for you know whether it was in ganu miocic or whatever connor mcgregor be fight, awesome. if he's still around that that would be just like a vibe and a buzz i've never really felt before that you see on tv that you can kind of feel through the tv but it just seems like there's not much like a big fight feel when you're kind of in the arena for that so that's yeah for cover me,
2: number too covering that Bud Crawford uh, unification bout uh, against Francis Ndongo back in 2017-18 in Lincoln. Um, Even though it was Lincoln, it was Pinnacle Bank Arena, packed to the gills, rooting for a Nebraska native with belts on the line. And, And there's just, to your point, there's a different feel in a room when you know two guys are getting into a ring to try and Beat the brains out of each other. Like that's yeah. that's, a, that's something different than sport. There's something primal in that room that is uh, that is some that it's definitely something to behold and feel firsthand. A uh, sleeper pick for me uh, with zero meaning behind it, just because I like a good party and I like to see and be seen. Uh-huh. NBA All Star NBA All Star Weekend, cool. A cool city with a ticket to like everything: game, dunk contest, GQ party, like the whole thing. I think that'd be a cool weekend. Would be yeah. All Star Weekend. You
3: you fit in right. You you fit right in there. You have that. Not, that's where you my, could wear your my wide My fur coat hat. is ready already. Wide-brim hat. Wear your wide hat. You like, can pull that off think
2: of, there. think of, um, think of like Clyde Fraser. Like that's that's kind of like the look I'm, I'm that, going
3: for. That's that might be a like a lot a lot stuff.
2: of furs, like that that sort of thing. I don't think maybe you can. Pull a Clyde look. Yeah. <laughs> you can try, but it's fine.
3: You got another one. Uh, so we're we're getting to be right about in a hour, ish here a little over an hour. You want to go one more each. You want to save some of these for the coming weeks. How do you want to handle this?
2: Uh, let's do one more each because okay. we, we do have okay. first pitch of the MLB season coming up here in minutes. Uh, my Yankees, my Yankees getting Your things Yankees? started. My Yankees getting things started with, the, uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays today.
3: All right. I am going to go with oh, – do you, do you have a, a topic you think you'd want to go with?
2: Um yeah, I'm gonna take a stab here with uh, b- 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 looking at the list. Which team would you most like to see win a title? Uh, we haven't said Chicago Bears on this podcast, episode two hundred. So just to just to check that box, let's answer that question. And on three, one, two, three, bears. Bears. Uh, Damn it. Um, what I else do them. we have here? Thank Maybe you, let's Chris let's Sims, for even, that question. Let's not even entertain it. Uh, <laughs> chocolate chips and pancakes. Chocolate chips and pancakes, is there an age limit? No. No, I think you um, go what for else that. fashion trend, most worst kind of pop. I read that wrong at first. You
3: um, yeah, you don't. You haven't. Tra- when was the last time you had a pop? Or, sorry, a pop.
2: Last time I had two thousand and four. No, um, it would have had to have been with a mixed drink at a bar. More when than was than the a last time ago. you
3: had one without a mixed drink, just on your own? I'm grabbing a, a can of Coke or a Pepsi or uh, a Diet Coke.
2: It's probably been like five years i'm not Uh, i'm not saying that to be like
3: i honestly would have guessed longer
2: i think just i might have like picked up ah, that could be even longer like i'm having a hard time remembering i might have done like a fountain drink sprite at a movie like four years ago i don't know (laughs) there's a couple here
3: there's a couple of the golf ones especially that i really like that i want to give a little bit more time into thinking like really thinking on not as much going let's on the keep those holdovers like yeah. we got we got one from mike about the favorite holes you play i really like that one i haven't really had a, had the time to sit down and think through like these are the ones i want to play same thing with the golf trip or the i know i was vague which state would you want to play and that's actually if i get deeper into it a very good question um i'm gonna let's let's go best shot you've ever hit how about that you, you
2: got See, one off the top i could have i could have answered those other ones quicker than okay well, let's not go without let's go best no no, no but but i want okay i want to if you want to say that, to I, I,
3: you have the right to say, "Hey, we're going to hold off on that." I have no problem no. holding off so we can give better answers to the people.
2: That's what we're here for. Um, best shot I've ever hit. The first one that comes to mind was it, it was seventeenth um, hole TPC Harding Park. One hopped it off the bottom of the pin and it sat next to the cut. Like it, it's a mm-hmm. straightforward shot. Like I've hit, I probably hit. 100 better shots than that it was a stock 7 iron but yeah. result wise and just what it could have been a hole in one at a PGA Tour course it, 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 it haunts me to this day mm. um, couple rescue shots that come to mind I made an eagle last summer uh, at Pound Ridge on the 15th hole um, 3 wood from like down off the right side of the fairway just trying to like punch it out and run it and uh, ran it to about 20 feet and made the putt that uh, got me back uh, into the chase for 79. That A, a little bit of uh, recency bias mm-hmm. there, but those those are that's one that comes to mind. I got a, a couple that
3: jump out. One was it, I want to say it was Dubs, either last summer or the summer before. I had about 60 yards in from kind of the right rough with an uphill lie, and I took out my 60 degree and kind of took like a – three quarter ish shot with it. Cause I knew it was going to pop it kind of straight up and carry a little bit. And I, I think it was the fourth hole, fourth or fifth. And I one hop it in and I was playing with Mike and Brian and they were like, Hey Matt, you made the shot. And I was like, all right, cool guys. Where is it? Like, where am I? Pop, where my like, no, like <laughs> yeah, you yeah, actually the made the shot. The like, guys, stop. He's like, no, it's in. I was like, Oh, cool. That was nice. Um, I think it was last summer i was playing lost dunes uh great course i was <laughs> i hit a perfect drive on a long par five f- uh, 15th and gave me a six six seven iron in um and i the pin was kind of in this low little like crevice in the front left that kind of had stuff feeding to it i hit a really nice i think it was a six iron in and had a tap in eagle that was a really nice shot for me um and then i I can't think of the particular shot, but uh, on the the golf trip out in um, Palm Springs a few years ago, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you were not on the PGA West leg of it, but the the hole I played on 18 was fantastic. It sets up the same way kind of sawgrass does with the island green on 17, the water on on the left on the par four 18th. I hit a really nice drive kind of down the right side, hit a really nice eight iron to about five feet, made the birdie putt.
2: Nice. Uh, just to tie things together here and make it loose and Runes official, I will also mention a, a shot or at least a stroke uh, played with us both on the golf course. Oh, I, Lost Dunes. Was, I, I think I walked it off at like ninety four feet. I remember M8, this, but yeah, up three tiers. What what green was that again? That was the five? fourth
3: green. That was the fourth green, par five fourth. You were kind of on like. It's on, was on kinda, the low right tier. I'm more describing it for the people that play the course. It was the, yeah. the pin that's all the way up on, on the top left here. That's really, it's almost, it's very hard to actually give yourself a level putt when the pin's up there. You were kind of on the high right side and yeah. you, uh, yeah, sank a, a 94 footer. I think
2: it was either Birdie or Eagle. Don't remember which one. I think it was Birdie. I think there were some, some fairway follies there that yeah. uh, before we Doesn't we got matter. Up you there. came, you came away gaining surface. a stroke. We did, uh, and that was, that was definitely an exciting one. I we thought don't you were going to say something the,
3: sentimental like my favorite shot was the one I got, you know, when we got to play as a podcast together. That would be nice. Ooh, I'll, you I'll, know I'll what, speaking of which, I take that back. Best shot I ever hit, first round in Palm Springs, I want to say it was the 12th or 13th tee box. There a mountain off to the left. I absolutely sliced it. Uh, yes, a lot yes, of my the, drive the banked that, it off the <laughs> mountains back in the fairway, made par. I was just playing the bounces,
2: Joe. From just from the, the summit of the mountain to the fairway, that just was playing the mountain. That. It's fairway, just fairway who, regulation on the scorecard. Someone who understands desert golf, right? there. I do. That's what I just guess uh, using my research. How about if you want to be you want to be sappy? You want to you want we want to go out on like a sentimental note here? Sure. Favorite shot? It's always the next one, man. Oh, it's always the next one. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for this episode 200 of the Moose and Roots podcast. We cannot thank you guys enough for rocking with us for 200 episodes. Uh, here's to 200 more. Uh, a hat tip and a golf clap to my partner in crime here, Matt Rooney, for uh, making this happen for, for 200 episodes. You do the lion's share of the work here. You make life easy on me. And uh, I appreciate you for that. And uh hope we get to do many more of these things.
3: So what's life, life's all about for me, Joe? Just making life easier for Joe. That's all I want. That's, um, if yeah, I'm accomplishing yeah. that goal, I'm, I'm succeeding. I don't think it can be
2: said any better no, you, you or more. No, you do You also
3: that. do give yourself some credit. You do a fantastic job of driving the podcast, hosting even though you I, I'm surprised you remember this one was 200. I thought you were going to be like 190. It's hard to forget. Yeah, I so forget
2: it was, I'll forget the number from everyone between now and 300. Well, yeah,
3: we'll start next week. And like what is this, 205?
2: Two hundred seven, I think, this week. Yeah, yeah. But uh for episode two hundred and, and the listeners, and the we have I, to I am them. Joe Musso Thank the listeners. Yes, saying thank you, guys. Wouldn't have a podcast. and people to tune in. We want to grow this thing. We want it to continue to gain momentum. And we can only do that through the uh, through the grassroots fan base that we have created here. So we appreciate you guys that tune in, whether this is the first time you are listening to the Moose and Runes podcast or the 200th time, or in the case of Parker Carroll, the 201st time you are listening to the Moose and Runes podcast. We appreciate you guys, as always, for Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, say goodbye to the people.
1: See you for 201.